0: Lou, Lou. Opera podcast, Elise and I had a lovely conversation in which we discussed the head voice. We talked a little bit about that and we, we talked a little bit about what's coming up for us in the near future, my travels and auditions and such. And then we talked a lot about Mozart because you know why not? So enjoy. Something that, um, that Olga said to me once you, you know when she said she said, this is how you will sing mozart and we did specific exercises Mm. and we did specific work in order to sort of keep the voice in a certain place that was specific to mozart and at the time i was like
1: what does that mean what Sorry, I'm my mom's here and she forgot that we were recording. So oh. she started yelling down the stairs to my nephew. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <gasps> that's anyway, funny. please continue or start over. Whatever. I, I thought is she, better.
0: I heard what I heard was Wagner. <laughs> and I was like, Well, yes. But apparently, right, Mozart is baby Wagner. That's what people say. Yes. Right? And Yes. And so you You have to sing it with the same kind of intensity, but without, I mean, the orchestration is obviously much thinner and you are much more naked more often, I find. Yeah. With Mozart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. But I thought it was an interesting comment. And at the time, I was like, I don't know what this means. Yeah. You know, I'm like, ah, you mean I have a choice how I sing? Like, wait, what? I feel like it's always pretty much here's the voice. But, you know, something you mentioned last time that I thought was interesting is when you were talking about singing with your jazz voice versus your classical voice and that there it is different, right?
1: Yeah. Well, one is, one is supported in a different way. It's supported in a way that it can carry without you know, outside amplification. And the other one is not. It's, you know, it's as loud as it's gonna be, and if it needs to be in a bigger venue, it has to be, I have to have a mic. So, um, yeah, it's interesting though, I was talking to Mark Nicholson yesterday, I did a, a Skype coaching to New York, and um, he was talking about how many tenors, cause he's a tenor himself, um, really feel the need to scream all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and there is, and I said, well, you know, and he said young tenors, especially, um, because you know, when they get older, they're not singing anymore if they do that the whole time. So they either figure out how to, how to sing without screaming or else they, their career, they find a new career. But, yeah. um, and it's interesting the way that I've been working my high voice, starting with Olga and, and sort of reworking my, my mental concept of what it takes to sing high notes. Um, and also this whole idea of, I don't know, for me, high notes always sound big, like they're always loud. And so I think that they have to be produced in a way that's like, you know, kind of this balls to the wall kind of like complete, you know, and, um, and so I'm figuring out and – and it actually does take a lot of coordination and like like athlete, like Olga says, it has to be like an athlete. Um, your body has to be involved, for sure, for those high notes. But they go into this really tiny space when they're right, and it's hard, I think, for us as singers to trust that because we can't hear it. We can't hear the way it sounds on the outside. Really, really we can't hear the head voice the way that it sounds on the outside. And so in order for it to match our voice – in our head, we do weird things. But if we want it to match acoustically on the outside, then we have to do that thing where it, it gathers into a much more streamlined place. Um, well, h- how do you describe it? it? Yeah, it's just it stays I think that's in the a pipe. Really,
0: yeah, I think that's a really good description, uh, this idea of being streamlined. I know yeah. um, when I – so I went over the weekend to visit um, my parents and my, gran- my grandmother – because we're getting ready to go to Austria and I'm going to be gone for the next, you know, 10 months. And um, if not longer, depending on how everything goes. Um, but while... Exciting. Yeah, I, I promise to sing at her, um, at the place where she lives. So she lives, she, she calls it like a cruise that doesn't move you know, all her meals are prepared for her, and she has her own little sort of like apartment. And then there's, you know, games and activities that they do, and all these things. And it's 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 a really lovely place. Uh, but she asked me to sing, so I I did, and she conducted me, which is you know her her usual way. Um, and, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, that's not what, that's how I was. Okay. About. No, <laughs> the reason I'm telling the story is because I, I sang some repertoire. You know that my mom, my mom posted on Facebook and I'm I'm like oh man but uh because it's not what I usually sing and you know it's all musical theater stuff or you know sort of old standards and things uh, because I didn't see that in my feed I'm gonna
1: have to look it up now oh
0: dear but I mean I'm like staring at the iPad the whole time because I really didn't know I was being recorded um and I was you know sort of tucked away in the corner I'm like just let me be ambiance I'm just you know in the background, um, but. I was trying out some things vocally. One, because I was, you know, 5,000 feet higher than I, I am normally now uh, being yeah. you know, being in the mountains. And then also because I you know, was singing this repertoire that I hadn't... Honestly, like, I was just sight reading a lot of this stuff. Basically, like, I haven't looked at many of these pieces for probably like 10 years. <laughs> so I, I it, you know, it, it, it was just for fun kind of thing, right? So yeah. I... But, as I was singing, and you know, singing summertime, and you know it starts off, we did it a little bit lower, so it was just on an e, I think, um, but summertime and and instead of my normal thing, which is like you gather all of your girth <laughs> and you shove it up there, <laughs> like that's kind yeah. of how right? I you know that's in order to feel you know, to really feel it, but instead, like what you were describing, like this streamlined effect, like being able to sort of pare it down so that you access this tiny space that is very open and very spinny, like, Mm. and, and then, and then you just kind of make sure that the muscles of, of your abdomen are, are active and not, you know, holding on for dear life. Um, if that makes sense. And, and I went back and listened to it because in my head it sounded weak because I'm used to, you know, and, and this is something that has been a process over the last, you know, two years, being able to get to the place where I don't think of that kind of spinny and very specific place as being weak, but being free Mm. and, and not, um, you know, feeling like, but if I don't suffer, <laughs> I have to suffer for my art. Yeah. I have to suffer for my high notes. Um, you know, it 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 was much more and I listened back to it even though it was a very crude, you know, just like an iPad recording or whatever, an iPhone. Um, it was still you could still hear the overtones and I was like, Oh, mm. there we go.
1: Yeah. Better. And speaking of yeah, and speaking of I know you're someone who likes to give people experiences and think about the difference in the experience you're giving to, to your listeners between, you know, those two different versions of your, of the, you know, because if they, if you give them, if you give them the free open spinny one, then they're going to have that experience. And if they have the other one, then they're going to have a different experience, you know, but it's, it's sort of interesting to think about the effect that your voice has based on what sort of what you're putting into it.
0: Sure. Well, and nobody I mean nobody wants to be hit over the head with a high note.
1: Like, <laughs> you know, like or
0: like, you know, through the head with a high note. Like you don't want to be shot, you know, with an A flat. Like thanks anyway. I, you know, it's but um it's true and just because we have loud notes doesn't mean that we should use them yeah all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, but but also that and this is something just in recent lessons I've discovered over the last probably three or four months about those high notes and the power that they have, um, is that they require you to um, to be so engaged that, I mean, it's it's a constant feeling of I mean I use the analogy a lot and I and I, I do think that there's a lot of truth to it. Like it's that feeling of when you're trying to get a kite up in the air and you you feel the the pull on the string that you're holding on to and mm. and there's like it catches the wind and then it sort of lets go a little bit and it catches it again and it lets go of it. And it's it's that feeling kind of constantly of like billowing and sort of coming together and billowing and coming together. I mean, it really is, you know, in some ways, uh, we are very much a wind instrument. Um, and you know, people talk about a lot about, you know, you have to stay on the breath. And I think young singers, um, I certainly felt that meant that I had to make sure the breath was always driven. Oh, yeah. And and that's not the case. No. Right? Like, the the, yeah. the air doesn't have to be driven. The air has to be um, moving, right? It does have to be moving, but it doesn't have to be pushed, essentially, which is funny because, you know, Spinto, the, the sort of the voice that I am, like, that's literally the translation <laughs> is pushed. <laughs> and... And it's a really delicate balance, I feel like, when it comes to the timbre of my voice because it already has that sort of metallic quality of that, um, that, you know, goes from being a shimmery sound to a, like, a silver, like, dagger. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, yeah,
1: I don't know, so. Yeah. No, um... That's a really good point you make about the breath. Um, that's something I learned from Olga. She said, she said, support is not to kill. It's not to, <laughs> <laughs> support is support. It should feel good. It should feel, you know, sort of loving. There should always be that give and take with it. It should never be, you know, pedal to the metal kind of.
0: Right. It's- it's- support is not an anchor, you know, as much as maybe a buoy. I don't know, like, you think yeah, ridiculous or, or somehow it like, has
1: to be both at the same time, it has yeah. to sort of be this, yeah, this constant opposite thing. I mean, that feeling of engagement that you have to have for high notes is the result of the fact that in its natural state, our larynx would shoot through the top of our head when we're trying to sing those really high notes, mm-hmm. but we we're keeping it in, you know, without depressing it with the root of our tongue or anything like that we're keeping it in this keeping everything in our throat in this more open state and that includes the larynx being lower and everything being more open so that um everything's can phonate and remain free and that's just not a natural thing that's what we learn how to do that's what we're training ourselves to do because otherwise the larynx will naturally rise so we we find a comfortable loving support system to keep the larynx low and then everything can go where it needs to go
0: a comfortable, loving, support. dear <laughs> larynx, would you like a bath?
1: <laughs> can, I, can I give you a massage? <laughs> like, into something more comfortable.
0: You're doing an excellent
1: job. Just stay down. <laughs> That's right. No, it's it's kind of serious, though. Honestly, I remember a long time ago I had a teacher who told me that the voice is kind of like a, a special needs child, And, and not to, not to be hard on it, not to beat it up, but just if something doesn't work to gently move in another direction, try something new, but not to get frustrated and, you know, have super high expectations of this thing, just, you know, sort of work with it very patiently.
0: Hmm. That's actually a really interesting idea because the fact is it's not, you know, it is connected as a vocalist. It is connected to every other part of you, right? Mentally. You know, oh, yeah. and and if we are not in a place where we're able to handle you know a certain kind of criticism or um from ourselves or from you know, from ourselves or from some from anyone else, um, you know, our bodies react with a fight or flight mechanism, and mm-hmm. we close down. We aren't able to physically, you know and and this is you know where my beef with um, with master class, you know, the masterclass syndrome of the second time through is always better. Well, yeah, you're more relaxed, you know, and, and totally, yeah. And you, you have less to prove because they've already heard you, you know, they're not, they're not waiting to, you know, and also with masterclasses, it's like, you're there to be corrected. And Mm
1: -hmm. so the most. You are by definition, the student. Yes. Not the master.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so that first time through is the judgment right it's it's the place where everyone's saying okay well on this third phrase she's having a tr- trouble you know keeping those vowels together you know whatever <laughs> like there's all kinds of things that I feel like people can say or think or and and thoughts can be quite loud oh my um, goodness right so yeah
1: well and this makes me think about we had a conversation oh I don't know Several years ago, you and I when we when we were just getting to know one another and I was telling you about how singing for me is sort of this um <laughs> like any sort of reliability in my voice is elusive because depending on the context um it seems to change, you know, how much adrenaline is in my body in the moment that I'm singing. And obviously, you know, you do work on technique and you work on mental exercises as well as physical exercises to build in a certain level of predictability into the body so that no matter what's happening, you can rely on, on your instrument. But I still feel like, you know, the difference between, um, the rehearsal hall without an audience, you know, an orchestra rehearsal or whatever. And, um, and once the audience is there and then, you know, when it's evening, whether it's during the day, um, what I had to eat for lunch, or the conversation I had with my loved one just before, or, you know, there's so many different sort of Factors, variables that absolutely. yeah that go into your body's chemistry and your yeah. level of relaxation or um, excitement or anxiety or, you know, whatever it may be. There's just so much going on with the human body. And the human mind that, that factor into the instrument because the instrument is human.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all of those things together. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, it's interesting. So um so I sang at my grandmother's on Friday and mm-hmm. they were all very happy, you know. And it's like, Oh, you could do this professionally, you know, that's always the great comment, right? You're <laughs> like, Oh Have you had voice lessons? Exactly. Oh thank <laughs> A few. you. Just, you know. <laughs> for years <laughs> um but you know you smile and you say thank you yes of course you know yeah I, I do sing and do you have any recordings and i do but they're really weird so i don't know if you'd want to. <laughs> um, but like, you know it's heavy. um it's, heavy, yeah, stuff. it's uh, heavy and heady um yeah. but there were it, what's so interesting to me. So I I did that on Friday and it was very low key and I could sort of like try some things out and I didn't feel any kind of pressure. I wasn't nervous. I was working with my friend Jeremy who I've performed with since we were like fourteen or thirteen, something like that. We, I was mm-hmm. I was thirteen. He was probably fourteen. And um, so we've you know we know each other. We it's very easy to just you know pull something out and just do it because we've you know we've been doing this for so long and um and then on sunday i sang at church for my parents i i I told them i would so i did and um yeah and what's so interesting for me like here's here's a moment of rachel being very vulnerable um i i always struggle to stay on my breath when i sing at church yeah. Um, I, I find that, e- like, unless the piece is absolutely classical, um, you know, with none of this, like, flowery arpeggios that they throw in there to, like, make it, you know, fluffy, um, you know, even if it's a, you know, if it's an actual, you know, classical voice piece, not necessarily from the classical era, but you, you know what I mean, like, if I'm singing Handel or Bach Or um, Gluck, or um, any number of other. You know, Mendelssohn wrote something. You know, a lot of church stuff, and and, you know, and -hmm. and and such. Like, if I'm singing that, then it's then it's usually okay. Um, But I find that when and if it's other church services, I don't experience this. But when it's my own church, I do. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I have an idea what that's about. Um, I mean, I think honestly, it's having grown up in these pews where, you know, if you, if you come into the room with any kind of diva in you, (laughs) like it's something that isn't really understood by the congregation, if that makes sense. Like, like there's a sense of, um, you know, nobody claps, there's no, uh, which I think is actually really great. I actually really love that. I love that it gets to be something that is completely, almost completely separate even from you. It's like this is your gift to to the Lord. Um, but there's also you know, the baggage of years of being the person in the congregation that when I open my mouth, people start laughing or they turn around or, you know, they're like, yeah. mom, what's that? You know, like, and, um, and I think you, you, and, until you face it, you know, and accept it for what it is and are able to like, let it go, you carry it with you even yeah. as a soloist. What do you, what,
1: yeah. does that make sense? Totally. I can totally relate to this. And it, we're, it's a volunteer church. And so none of the musical numbers are professional soloists, or at least they're not being paid to be there. And there is sort of a, not always, but with many, with many members of the congregation, it's very casual. There isn't a feeling of reverence or respect for the performer. Um, and not that they're being disrespectful either. They're just sort of, you know, taking it with a grain of salt. They're just kind of like, whatever, like, well,
0: you kind you of know. never know what you're going to get too.
1: Yeah, right? that's true. And you get a lot of, Oh, have you had voice lessons? You have such a pretty voice. And, um, because people just don't know what a professional, a professionally trained voice sounds like, and they can tell that something's different about it or whatever. But we definitely need to bring up this topic actually with, with Rachel Will Sorensen because there's something that we talked about. We met in church in New York and I was the chorister. So I was leading all the hymns from the front, um, just on the congregational hymns. And she said to me, you seem so just free and, and at peace with it. And it took me a while to get there. I think it helps that it was in New York because, you know, New York is full of all kinds of nutty people and, and we love that we're nutty and, and we embrace the nuttiness. And so, you know, there's, there's sort of more room for, I guess, divas or diversity and just different ways of being And so, um, I, I, I was able to get there and, and on this, in the same service, when she was sitting in the congregation, I sang with my ukulele, I sang just a children's, um, Heavenly Father Loves Me, a primary song. And, um, and it was very, I did it very simply, but I had to come to a place, um, because and it's, it's strong there, like what you're saying, like the influence and the, and the sort of not not knowing what you're going to get and the judgment of others. It's strong in that context. It's really strong, again, mm-hmm. and a different context that sort of throws you into a state of being as a performer, you know, mentally and physically. And the mental always affects the physical. Um, yeah. But I had to get to a place where I could separate myself from them and say, and this picking up the ukulele earlier this year has helped me to do this, Um, but just to say, this is my, this is my thing that I do that helps me to feel close to God. And I offer it to you and I hope it will do the same for you. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't, that's okay too. But I'm just sort of separating myself from their response or from their, you know, of course I love it when they love it. And if they don't, I just have to say, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. And, um, I don't know, but I know what you're saying. It's, you, you are vulnerable in that context.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it is a part of, you know, there, there is so much history and, um, there's so many memories and all of, all of these things, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's definitely in the culture, you know, a desire to not show off, like that's something that sort of like taught you, like, don't, don't be a show off, like, yeah, to Mm -hmm. be modest and, and um, and to not you know try to draw too much attention to yourself because it shouldn't be about you. And I think that there's a lot yeah. of good in that, um, as long as as it's not taking away from the honest, um, like the honest portrayal or performance or person. Like if, Or breath support. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if a person has a large personality, they have a large personality. You know? Like, yeah. that's who they are. And that's good because there's a reason that they're that way, right? Like, um, actually, yeah. one of my favorite – I think it was – we were at church together in Harlem, and there's a woman who was a convert – And she said a prayer in a different way than you hear normally. And it was wonderful. It was absolutely awesome. And it brought, you know, the spirit. It brought this feeling of peace. It brought this this sense of, like, belonging and inclusion. And and I just smiled because I was like,
1: yes, this. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is good.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, because
1: it was sincere. It came from her heart. And it didn't matter if it had the same you know, level of formality or same approach. Yeah. At all. Yeah.
0: I, I guess I just find that when I'm singing in, in that place, like I find my, this the breath, like it just kind of leaves, like the support just kind of goes out the window. And I find myself reverting to the sort of 13 year old, um, me, which is the person that was, you know, probably the ugliest i've ever been and also oh, you know what i mean it's self-conscious a, 13's a rough time yeah. um and well, your
1: your body's changing
0: exactly and, and some mm-hmm. things are larger than other things and you know like <laughs> <And> <laughs> disproportionate you know your nose yeah. is like i just don't want to think about it but um like yeah it's hormones yeah exactly but
1: skin problems these,
0: oh my gosh oh terrible
1: teeth um, the teeth Oh, yeah. They're adult teeth, but they're just not sorted out yet. (laughs) My
0: eighth grade yearbook (laughs) picture, I actually like. I think I destroyed it. Like, I, I took a marker <laughs> and, like, I completely, like, ruined it. Like, I feel bad for the person who was on the other side of my face in that yearbook because they're also gone now. Um, you know, like, it was that bad. Oh, it was terrible. I was wearing, like, I, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I'm i a woman that looked like a man and and that was not intentional. Aww. You know, it was just bad. It was just bad. Anyway, but, um, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah great. Um, I ate the grade. I... Yeah, like getting into that place and then getting out of it and what does it take to get, you know, to to find that like knowing yeah. knowing that there is judgment um but that that is not your problem, right? Like
1: exactly, that what is they think is none of your business. Your
0: problem. Yeah, what someone else thinks is none of your business. Exactly. That's right. And um you know, and when you know that for yourself, you know, on the inside, then these outward sort of manifestations of, you know, feeling uh, like you're not enough uh, disappear. So
1: yeah, yeah, I am enough. Such an interesting concept. I love that. I want to add something if we may, if I may. Um, I was in a different congregation last weekend. I was in a very small town of about 200 people um, called Boulder, Utah. And it's a beautiful community, and it's right there um, next to the – Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument and Capitol Reef National Park and it's just kind of situated right in the middle of a bunch of national parks in southern Utah and so it's beautiful and we went um, to visit uh, Brett's mentor who's an artist um, is of it, many is years.
0: It, that- is it near Goblin Valley by chance? I don't think so. Goblin Valley but is I don't so know. cool.
1: Okay, sorry. Google
0: Maps. Go on. Ooh, Go Google on. Maps. Ensuing. No, no, it doesn't matter. Is, a is
1: Goblin Valley in Utah? It yeah, is. Yes, it is. It's not it in is so cool.
0: Oh,
1: it's a Utah state park. Okay, looking this up real quick. I'm actually curious where it is now, but um. <laughs> Um, so I was in Boulder, and we were there. So we were visiting Brett's mentor, and he's extremely cultured. He is European, and okay. So Goblin Valley is about two and a half hours northeast of Boulder. And but yeah. So and not,
0: just to clarify, Brett is your fiance.
1: Yeah, he is. Yay! Yay! God. So um, and Brett's an artist, and um. A painter, and so anyway, went to his mentor, and he has this beautiful dozens, dozens of acres property, which he's taken over thirty years. He's really um, beautified, and anyway, I was just enchanted to be there. It was a world apart because it was so remote, and. Yeah, I guess I'll just say remote. Like I didn't, I put my air, my phone on airplane mode because I couldn't get a signal at all. And so I just was like, all right, I'll just be without my phone for the weekend. I would rather Which, not be rooming. Yeah. Right, exactly, because it just drained the battery completely. And there was, yeah, so there was no point in even having it on. And I went to, we, we got there Friday late afternoon. And then Sunday morning we went to church and... I wasn't really sure what to expect. It was kind of a smaller chapel and when it was time to sing the hymns, I just sort of I just sort of sang in about half voice. And I I wasn't worried about it. I didn't want to I didn't want to embarrass anyone. I didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable and I didn't want to draw a bunch of attention to myself. I knew that even at half voice I would draw a decent amount of attention to myself. Of course, because it's just a small organ, a small there's just not a lot of sound. And so like in New York with the bigger chapel and the, and the bigger organ, I can sing full voice and it's just kind of blends in. It's still audible, but you know, um, and here anyway, so it was funny later, um, I was talking to some of the people who had been there, we had dinner together and, and they said, um, I I couldn't really hear you. I was hoping I would be able to hear you better, but I was sitting behind you, and so I couldn't really hear you. And they were talking about when they'd had opera singers, or maybe not even opera singers, but like someone who was a member of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir which yes. is, you know, as close to Godhood no. as you can become on the earth. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> that they, you know, that when they sang in sacrament meeting, that it was just, it just filled the whole room. And, you know, I know people like that too. I've, you know, I I know people like that in New York in particular. And it's just sort of like, okay, well now this, instead of this being part of the worship service, this is a a solo performance you know, where the soloist just doesn't stand in front of everyone. They just sit where they are (laughs) and cover everyone with their sound. And then we get to listen to them instead of focusing on what we should be focusing on. So anyway, I didn't want it to be that, but then I was surprised that they were disappointed that it wasn't that. (laughs) So I was like, well, I I could open up more next time if you'd like, but I just don't want it to be about, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Context. Yeah, well, but what? Enough. I, no, no. What's in, what's interesting about that is like you know you don't want it. There's nothing to be gained from being less than what you are, and there's nothing to be gained from being more than what you are. Maybe. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing. Like or or should I say th- like and that? Let me. <sighs> Okay, so <laughs> you got this. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me just push this boulder up this hill without having it roll down and squish me. Oh um, no, like, like that quote, right? Being small doesn't serve the world. You know, this this quote from this woman, you know, who said, mm. you know, your your being small doesn't serve anyone. And I think that that's absolutely true. But also, your you know, trying to be more than what you are also doesn't really serve anyone in the sense, and, and that's not having to do with progression or, you know, um, improvement, uh, because that's a different thing. Like, because when you are actually improving, you're not having to, quote unquote, prove something. Does that make sense? Like, you, yeah. you focus on a task or you focus on um, a process instead of... Um, you know, instead of, you know, like what Brene talks about, Brene Brown talks about like hustling for your worthiness. Mm. And you can hustle for your worthiness in both ways because both of those examples are about having the Approval is that a word? Approval? (laughs) (laughs) Approval. I didn't sleep so well last night. You're I'm doing great. <laughs> I was like, that's not a word. Nope, nope, it isn't. Um, the approval <laughs> of other people, right? Um, because you're asking for someone to say, oh, it, you know, good job, you're not being too big or, you know, good job, you're, um, you're big enough instead of yeah. just good job, you're you. Like you, and, and because the only person that can really determine that is you. And that's where that sort of personal relationship and very honest and open conversation has to happen. And for me, it's between me and the Lord, right? Like it's between me and someone that I have not as far as I know seen, um, but I have a relationship with, um, in a very sort of, you know, specific, um, context that's mine. Um, but it affords me a sense of, uh, detachment from the accolades or, um, you know, looking down from, you know, from other people. I don't know if that makes sense, but
1: absolutely. Yeah, it totally does. And I think for me, what I've come to do, and what I did in Boulder, and I don't apologize for it. I mean, I, next time if they want to hear me sing, then we could just do something separately. They don't have to hear me in that in that setting, you know, when I'm just singing as part of a congregation in a chapel. So, um, what I've what I've come to choose to do that I find a good solution um, is to is to make it about worship for myself, and. It's it is hard for me sometimes not to get in my head as I'm singing the hymns, even though it is part of a worship service, and just think about the way that I'm producing the sound. No, absolutely. But I try. I'm the same way.
0: Yeah, I try
1: to focus on the words, and and I sing it. I sing it with phrasing, and I sing it. I try to sing it beautifully, as a way of of bringing myself to that, to those words, and to that worship, and to my, my belief in that and my appreciation for that. Hmm. And, and so then I, yeah, I make it about my relationship with the Lord instead of about what people are around me are hearing.
0: Or what I'm hearing from myself, because that in essence is a sort of like selfish thing. Right. Because then it yep. becomes about, you know, it, it becomes about it's like, oh, why is why is that E flat, you know, not quite high enough? You know, what, what, what's happening, you know, not necessarily pitch wise, but like placement wise, you know, what's going on there? Oh, wait, we're on the next verse. Yes. we're yeah. Thinking about Jesus. OK. OK. Coming back. Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's a. Yeah. You know, because then because that is sort of a distraction, yeah,
1: I would imagine. Oh, absolutely! Right? It's a distraction for myself, and if I'm distracted, I imagine other people are distracted. Um, yeah, I totally find myself like I catch myself thinking about resonance and legato and all these things, and I'm like, wait a second, yeah. let's get, get get back to the message. Sure, and, like, absolutely. What I'm singing well, and about
0: how often, how often you know the way hymns are structured, you know, or written on the page. You have you have a line break where there isn't a um, musical or a um, lyrical break. So when you really should be carrying a phrase over to the next line, everyone in a congregation, because the line has ended on the page, will take a breath or, you know, will reset the organ pedal or whatever. And because it's, you know, just a natural thing to do. It's like the line ended, I'll restart. Even, Even though... Uh, lyrically, it may be a thought that needs to be, you know, continued. And as long as as long as long that isn't me trying to prove a point. Right. <laughs> like, you all need to know your phrasing. <laughs> you all are taking a breath where you shouldn't. Yeah, you know? I <laughs> like, can hold
1: this so much longer than you. Right.
0: Watch this. Long. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, as long yep. as it isn't about that, because then that's my own pride, you know? Yeah. And yeah. as, as long as it's about, oh, if I keep this going, then the emotion of this moment will be felt by me, and therefore potentially felt by other people. Yeah. Um, then that's a
1: whole different thing. Yes, and I have two things I want to vent about quickly. Because, Yay. Yes. So the first thing is when when reverent hymns are done too fast, mm-hmm. I it drives me crazy. Okay. because I feel like we're not off to the races right right now and I know that there was a movement against like the the, the drudgery dirge. yeah exactly of of like I was a part of going way too slow and you know the old lady chorister who's up there just barely like doing the conducting pattern and it's just like dragging along and I get it I get it. But at the same time, a lay I feel clergy like
0: people, a lay clergy, nobody's getting paid for this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but the thing is, we've gone too far in the other direction. And not every congregation is that way, but I've run across it quite a bit. Well, I, I mean, I think probably 30% of the time, at least um, when I'm not in New York, it's, it's, it's an issue. And I just think, you know what? Let's take a moment and let some of these words sink in and not just rush through this because it's, you know, look at the tempo marking. There are tempo markings on every hymn. But I mean, just look how, at- many,
0: how many times have I run into a an organist that like doesn't really read music or like, well, I guess you kind of can't be an organist and not read music, but in the sense that like the skill level required to play um, well is just not there yet and you know they're being stretched to the limit for themselves in in the in in this kind of service um i think that that happens a lot but then usually that doesn't mean that they play too fast but some people it's amazing some people don't really have a sense of time even though they play it's baffling to me but it's true like sometimes it's like one two three four one two three like I mean like it's like there's nothing even about it and it's interesting but I mean whatever like this is a place you know that church is a hospital for six sick people not you know a sanctuary for for the well
1: yeah well and I think I do think um without getting trying trying not to get too specialized within our own our own faith tradition but um (laughs) Uh, I think that when people in an all-volunteer church when people are given a calling to lead music there should be some sort of training that goes along with that because you know, that interestingly be nice. yeah uh, interestingly some people are in front of the congregation leading the music without understanding what um, meter is and without understanding absolutely. what a conducting pattern is absolutely. And, and that's just embarrassing for them. And it doesn't do any good for anybody else in the room. So
0: why? why? I don't know. Like, I mean, well, I, my favorite is when that's the case and we write our names, you know, like I'm like, oh, yeah, that's her name. She's writing her name in a pattern. Like, no like, no seriously no like seriously. I don't believe you. no 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 absolutely Incursive in the air
1: it happens it does no. um no. but you know what no but you know is what? That what do you think that they think that's what they're supposed to do or do you think they just don't know what to do and so they're being creative I, but what's
0: amazing to me is like that person gets up and they do their best and this is what it is
1: and, and it's fun and no like, one dies or and, even loses a limb
0: yeah and in some ways like you I think you can, from that experience, um, be moved. I probably one of the most moving experiences that I ever had was listening to a deaf congregation. Um, they signed, and you know, there was a pianist playing, and someone conducted and it and it wasn't you know, it was by no means perfect, but it was perfect.
1: Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I, I had that experience last, not, was it last Christmas? Uh, it might not have been last Christmas, it might have been the one before, but there was a deaf choir that signed Silent Night at the Christmas mm-hmm. concert and accompanied by acoustic guitar, and it was just so tender and wonderful. I was super touched by it.
0: Yeah, yeah. The night really is silent for some, you know? And Yeah. I didn't even
1: make that connection until right now. Um, My other thing, though, that I wanted to vent about, in addition to the extra ones that came out accidentally, sorry, um, was so when I took conducting from Ronald Staley at BYU, um, one thing that he taught us is that at the end of a verse give people a moment to swallow before you start the next verse or just give them a moment. And some people will conduct straight into the next, the opening, um, the first, the downbeat of the next verse without any sort of pause at all. Mm -hmm. Like it's just continues and continues and continues. And I love the, I love the reset of like, just like this is the end of the verse and now we're going to start a new verse. Um, And it's, it's only a second. It doesn't take very long. And so um, in connection with what you were saying about the phrasing and, and making it musical and that kind of thing. I do a similar thing, and I always take the, take a moment to swallow at the end of the verse and and reset, and then I will do sort of this thing with... Um, it's very slight rubato. It's, like, very slight, but I take away from the unimportant syllables and give more to the important ones. So if I have an uh or a the or a, you know, something unimportant. I'll make it slightly shorter. So kind of like recitative, the way we do with (laughs) recitative. I do that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I don't apologize for it because I think there are so many quarter notes. And it's not musical to just sing them all the same length and the same way. It sounds like a machine. And it shouldn't sound like a machine.
0: Well, one of the things that's a challenge with that too, and this is, I think, something typical with hymnal writing, um, is that there, I think... You know, in a cathedral, uh, you you can have more of that give and take. You can have more of you know. I mean, when nooms were all the rage, you know, you had you just sort of like you know you held the lo- the, the note until until you didn't want it anymore or whatever, and uh, and you would move according to how you felt moved to move, and mm-hmm. you know that sort of sort of morphed into this hymnal writing which is very linear. And and it is kind of exhausting. I find like I find singing hymns to be kind of exhausting. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't move the way that um, other pieces move. And I think largely because of something that you just talked about. You know the fact that it's just a it's a lot of quarter notes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know a lot of quarter notes sort of over and over, which means that there's a reattack. Um, you know happening quite often in order to you know, enunciate in order to, to, um, to delineate between, you know, what was before and what's happening. Um, but it, um, yeah, it can be really, it can be really tiring. And if you are able to sort of switch it up a little bit, then, then that can, that can be really helpful, I think.
1: But yeah, it but gives, it, it just back... gives more meaning to the words. Yeah. Too. It go- and it goes back
0: to, it goes back to this idea of you know motivations, like what are, are our motivations in in singing the way that we sing? In you know, when when I was a kid, I remember um, my mom asked me if I wanted to have voice lessons, and I said I don't want anyone to change me. Hmm. Um, How old and, were you? Uh, I was probably eight, maybe. Hmm. Um And I was really nervous about. Like, having my voice be something other than what it just was. And... Interesting. And I don't really know... There was a reason I brought that up. Um, but it's gone.
1: Yeah. Oh. It'll come back. It'll come back. Something with the phrasing and making things musical and making your own choices. Oh, yeah. Like, making my Rigato. own choices.
0: Like, I... I would listen to a piece and I would interpret it the way that I would interpret it and sometimes that meant that it you know things were held longer or or whatever and when it comes to classical music um especially with orchestra you kind of can't do that i mean there's only there's definitely freedom that you're allowed especially when like you mentioned recitative earlier like there's a lot of you know depending on the kind of recitative there's there's quite a lot that you can do within the confines of a bar you know of a measure Mm -hmm. Um, and but you but you have to keep the meter in you know to some extent like you, you you can't just like you can't go off and, you know, Liberace it up. You, you've got to actually, you know, like, um, in order to maintain the integrity of the piece, but you also have to make it your own. And that sort of interpretation has to come from a place of authenticity and of need rather than of needing to prove something. Mm. Like, you know, it, it, it has to be an outgrowth of what and who you are. So that it's, you know, from the inside and you say, here is here is this thing that I have. This is what and who I am. I share with you. Ta-da!
1: So, yeah.
0: And I, yeah. Think that, I think that that is possible to, like, you know, change the timing of certain things. And even with, with hymns, I think. As, but, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, and of course... You know, if I were singing in a choir, if the congregation were magically a choir, um, well, then we would have someone to direct us. And if they were c- choral conductors like I've had, they would have us do that thing anyway. And so we would all be together. But of course, there, there has to be that togetherness in mm-hmm. ensemble singing. But, you know, when it's just the congregation, it's all right. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing anyway, a little bit.
0: That's very, very true. There's yeah. A of, there's a lot of... Um, There's a lot of leeway.
1: Yeah, and speaking of leeway and recitative, I'm actually um, doing a little study today. I was midway through when we started recording, um, and I have listened to a couple of real divas sing No Midir, so I'm I'm preparing this aria to record in about a month. Awesome. Um, Yep, in New York to be part of my promotional materials for this upcoming audition season, and so I've been working on it a lot over the last six weeks or so, and even before that, but um, it's sort of becoming, <laughs> Mark said it, this is my sport, which is fun, because you know the the um, cabaletta as we call it, which is, I think it's anachronism, because... That didn't. Those terms didn't exist until the Belcanto period, which was no. after Mozart. But anyway, you know what I mean. It has the two parts. So the the faster part, the end, the forse forse un giorno, um, has all these all this coloratura in it. And um, wait, oh yeah. Um, so there's there's no leeway at all once you get into the aria with Mozart. Um, you're not even supposed to put in. Like portamenti and that kind of thing—it's a definite yeah. no-no with Mozart. And the tempo has to be exact, especially when the coloratura is happening, because you know that's part Otherwise, of it becomes very. You will die. <laughs> <laughs> well, it becomes very instrumental, right? And so it's there aren't words during. I mean, there are some, but um, actually, there's a whole page without words um, in this aria that's just instrumental, and, and it staging. has to be in there's time. There's a lot
0: of staging in it, too. I think, right? This is no mediate. This is.
1: Who knows that that one, You mean the page with the coloratura? I, nice. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think generally she just stands. Maybe she's like holding his shoulders like, listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but on the other hand, the, uh, the recitative can really be drawn out a lot. I'm listening. I was just listening to Joan Sutherland. Um, and let's see who the conductor is of this one. John Brecknock. I don't know who that is actually. But... New York, 1978. Um, Oh, and the other one I was listening to, I listened to Callas. Oh, I haven't heard her sing very much Mozart, and I didn't like it. I always love her, but I did not like her aria. I did not like her nomi, dear. I feel bad, but... It's okay. Yeah. It's okay, you know? I love her singing in pretty much everything I've ever heard her do. Was it Um, a later
0: recording, or...?
1: Um, That's a good question. I'm actually not sure when she did it. Let's see if I can get a year on this. Oops, sorry. Um, This is... Yeah, it doesn't say... It doesn't say when it was. Hmm. That's dumb. Yeah, I don't know. But I think it was a little bit later. But I
0: I also think when it comes to Callus, like, I mean, of all Mozart heroines, I could definitely sort of see her... Doing dona with a you know I mean as far as like emotionally because it's she's sort of very similar you know the the the, ro- the wronged woman who uh, is you know kind of going crazy and and you know struggling to keep it together um, I can sort of see her doing that dramatically but vocally it's so different than the. You know, than than her sort of signatures, right?
1: Yeah, the bel canto stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I love her even in in so many things in in the Italian repertoire for sure. Um, meaning not Mozart, but the other Italian. Yeah. <laughs> and then and, and the French repertoire, I like her in that too. I, she's just so expressive. But be, I think because Mozart is so is
0: Germanic. I mean, it is very... Well,
1: well, he was trying to copy the Italians, right? And that's why he put the libretti in Italian for the most part, too. But um, he was studying in Italy and, and um, yeah, trying to write like them. But um, I think that it's just so instrumental, Mozart. It really is in a class of its own, vocally, you know, and that's why when you take, you know, a Mozart aria. To an audition, if you don't start with it, they will ask for it because it shows something very particular about your voice, Um, agility, yes, for sure, and also just sort of your ability to um, play within the rules to a certain extent and sort of um, comply with these standards. And because, like you were saying earlier, it is naked a lot of the time; it's you're a lot more exposed, and so, and you don't get to do these portamenti, and you don't get to do sort of the the slurpy, sloppy thing that you can really get away with in Puccini a lot. Um, But in Mozart, everything has to be clean. And like I said, with the tempo, the tempo just has to be exact throughout. And you have a tiny, tiny bit of of leeway for expressiveness. But for the most part, it remains quite instrumental, aside from the recitative.
0: So you're actually hearing the voice as an instrument, you know, as an instrument that... um, that has some kind of character attached to it, which really is quite telling um, in an audition setting, right? Yeah. because you it cuts through a lot of other things, and it, it gives you quite a lot. Yeah when I did my audition for the Musik und um back in December, you know they, they asked they what did I I start with El- I started with Elsa, and then they asked for um, por Jamor and hmm. I was like, All right, let's do this you know, like, <laughs> like, and and like, and it was lovely and and they and they enjoyed it and and were happy with it, but yeah, it is it's very it is very exposed, and it does require you to um yeah, you it shows musicianship um in a way that is pretty unique, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it shows your ability to create a story um similarly to to, and i've mentioned this several times about you know shakespeare's um you know when you do a shakespeare monologue you are showing you know sort of both the old and the new and i think mozart is is similar it's like can Mm. you can you keep the classical form and still have your persona or your and or your interpretation uh combined with that uh and and have it be authentic Like, does that happen? And the thing about it is that as dramatic as Donna Anna is, I don't think that she is as dramatic as Callas, like, as a person.
1: I don't think she can be because Mozart wrote the music. Mozart just isn't, it's so, yeah, I don't know. There's always a sense
0: of separation, I feel like from real life when it comes to mozart <clears throat> um as mm. as much as as his operas he, you know whether it's a separation because he chooses to write about comedy i think that that is a huge sort of um what, what's the name what, what do you call that when you uh when you put up it's like a scarecrow that's not the right thing though it's like oh. you know um like a smokescreen, I think that's how ah. it is. You know, you know, the, the comedy of Mozart is used in many ways as a smokescreen, right? And and I and I think it's because he was so young and young at heart and immature and um and also because he was a child star, you know. This is a this is a kid that had been on the road since the age of six or no younger. He was like four, four
1: yeah. or five,
0: and he he didn't have a normal childhood. He didn't, I mean, he wasn't a normal child, obviously. I mean, he had these huge gifts, but he was pushed like crazy. Mm -hmm. And to have that kind of upbringing, um, and also in some ways an isolation from, from a normal life. How do you write a normal life authentically?
1: I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you can. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Mm well it's really popular as it turns out I think Don Giovanni is a really entertaining I mean it's done often for good reason It's it lends itself to to staging and to sort of it has great segues it's very yeah but, well he knew the world of theater so well
0: right mm-hmm. he knew what people would respond to and and did it but the characters themselves um, even when you spend a ton of time with them, I feel like you just have to add yourself, because the characters themselves are pretty thin. Even, even for, you know, um, yeah, Don Giovanni. Um, yeah, even in Don, like who? Who do I think is the most interesting character in Don G? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Leporello. Really? Maybe. How come? He. I think he may actually go through the biggest kind of change. And and maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe that's not what what makes for the most dynamic or most interesting characters. But I think he. I mean, he definitely doesn't. He have the most reticent. I, I guess no. I guess Susanna I don't has the most in all of opera or something. But thankfully, we usually cut out a lot of it because we just can't. Um, but right? <laughs> even if you love it, you don't love it that much. Um, but yeah, Leporello, I think he's he's the one with a with a moral compass that sort of dips in and out of all of these different worlds. You know, he's mm. sort of with Don Giovanni. And then he's sort of, you know, the liaison, you know, between the women, and he keeps the list. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, like, the the final scene with he and the commendatore, I think is probably for me the most interesting in the whole opera.
1: Yeah, I love that too.
0: Like, you know, when they start to do that, da 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 da, and they have this, you know, these triplets against these long sort of abrasive rolling phrases you know mm. I like mm-hmm. love it like it's so cool um, yeah I don't know I just feel like when I see it on Anna I want to know why she has been living under a rock <sighs> wait That's in sorry. what way like she I mean, she is sort of the definition of hysterical.
1: (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but do you think maybe she's just being dramatic? Do you ever think maybe she's putting on a show? Something else is going on beneath the surface.
0: Sure, I've definitely seen it played that way. Um, But I feel like when you have two females that are essentially in the same role in an opera. And he does this in Cozy, too, essentially. But, like, the one has to be the strong one and one is the weak one, right? It's sort mm-hmm. of, and, you know, with comedy, often you do, you know, you have the straight, the straight man. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I feel like she is the hysterical one and Elvira is the,
1: um, I
0: don't man, what is she?
1: Oh, really? I feel like she's kind of the... Um, the spectacle. <laughs> Elvira, I, know, I mean, if anything, uh, I feel like so Anna fun. is more poised.
0: right? <laughs> well, but but Kind of keeps
1: it together better.
0: But, well, I guess I'm mostly thinking about the opening scene where she's, like, freaking out and...
1: Well, she was just
0: raped. Right. You know, that's true, wasn't it? Yeah. Or was she raped, or did she actually want to sleep with him and then, like... We don't know. See, we don't know. We just don't Mm-mm. know, Mm-mm. and we can't ask Mozart because he's dead.
1: <laughs> it's true.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, things to percolate on. Yeah. Things on which to ponder. Yeah. Um, but I think Don Donna will sound amazing in your voice.
1: I think thank you. That, yeah, it's coming right along. I'm yeah. figuring out how to um figuring out that second passaggio by Darn. it's interesting because she starts on F's a lot. yes, and then she sort of has to go up from there. so she's just like, I mean, no me dear is f e f g e c. so it's like, you know, just we're just kind of hanging out right in the passaggio, just hanging out there like all the time. but I did something cool yesterday with Mark, which was wait, instead wait, of
0: I have, I have can I can I can I interject for?
1: Yeah, totally. I
0: think it's fascinating that she sits up there a lot because that is a place of uncertainty.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. And
0: and dramatically. Precarious. Yeah, it's a very precariously perched place. It's where you don't really know, you know, I mean.
1: So, yeah, and what you have to, yeah, exactly. And what you have to do, because she kind of hangs out mostly kind of between A and A. Uh-huh. That's kind of what she does. And so she does go down into the staff, um, particularly at the ends of phrases. She goes down. But then she comes back in, and she's up back at the passaggio again. And then, you know, in the in the, – I'm just going to keep calling it Cabaletta, the second part. Um, there are these huge leaps, which he does to Elvira all the time, but he does them a little bit to her um, when he has her go from an E above middle C to an A above the the C above that. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, what is that? That's a, an octave plus a fourth. So whatever that is, a 12th. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but, um, she definitely has instability going on. She's got some, but you know, he's trying to get her to marry him. And it's like, you just want the commendatory's position and what's going on with Otavio You know, I don't know. There's a lot.
0: Yeah, Otavio is an interesting one. I feel like he may be, should have been a deleted character. Oh! (laughs) I know, isn't that terrible? I do feel that way a little bit, though. I feel like... He's but there. every opera
1: needs a tenor, Rachel. Oh man, so many baritones. No. Just so bring him baritones. in.
0: Just bring him in for the ensemble pieces. Like, just have him be like the janitor or something. I love *Dalla
1: like, Suatace, though. I love that well, aria. Then, sing that
0: aria, blah. But like, no, I, I feel like the the modern day. What I feel like people are trying to do with his character, sort of bring in, you know. Meaning to his very pansy position, where he's just kind of on the arm during much of his, you know, during much of his sort of presence in the opera. And I feel like, no, no, you, why are you here? Just because you're a tenor, that's why.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because Anna needs a suitor. She needs a love interest. It's a love triangle. Well, yeah, because it's a love triangle that way. There's way more tension.
0: Yeah, except that it's not really a love triangle if you aren't rooting for one of the three, I feel like. Like, if Mm. he's seemingly superfluous, then what's the point? I don't know.
1: Well, he has to be there to defend her honor.
0: I guess there's also that, that I feel like, what does that even mean?
1: It's like a gentlemanly thing it's like a it's like a real sexist thing that you know in the 1700s was very normal it was
0: a normal thing that's true that's yeah true.
1: in fact even up until like the middle of the of the 20th century it was also kind of a normal well, thing.
0: And, and maybe the reason he made him kind of a pansy was because the whole idea seemed preposterous
1: even to mozart
0: yeah even to mozart hmm
1: okay yeah i mean he, Again, he did that a lot he kind of we can't ask him yeah, it's Such true. Such a bummer. He, he's dead. We could have a seance, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people have done this before. Mm-hmm. Yes. It'd be fun to reach out to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do no, it. Ca- crickets. Dear, no comment.
0: Dear Mozart.
1: Dear Wolfie.
0: Wolfie. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. Wow, so we've covered a lot of ground today.
1: Yeah, we yeah.
0: talked about the head voice. We talked about
1: singing church. In church. Yeah.
0: And you know, which being... we'll have
1: part two of that when we talk to Rachel Sorensen, Whenever that's going to be.
0: Yeah, that would be cool. That would be great.
1: Yeah, because mm. she's got definite feelings about it. She's in the. She's in the. In the. Oh, what's it? What's it called when you're right? Like right in the middle of it. The, th- the throes? Yes, she's in the throes mm-hmm. because she's living in in Idaho right now. And oh. so it's hard to be in church in Idaho when you're used to being on the major stages of the world. <laughs> mm. So yes. people don't understand her voice.
0: No, no, it I hear that. Where in yeah. Idaho is she? Do you know?
1: Ugh. I should. She told me. Hold on. Let me
0: see if I can find I've, her. Because i I, I know someone who struggled in Idaho for a lot of reasons. Apparently, the church may not be true in Idaho. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just oh, kidding. no, no. I shouldn't say that. It's terrible. Uh,
1: <laughs> Boise. It says Boise, but I think it's actually a little outside Boise. Yeah,
0: yeah. But again, hospital for sick people.
1: And yeah, well, sick. Yeah, sick souls. We all are. That's turns right. Out. Yeah.
0: Well, cool. Well, this is fun. We got to have yeah. a little chat.